Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Pitch Deck Asia. We are live in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. My name is Graham Brown, joined by Yan Ari Bailus. Yan Ari, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. <laughs> so, well, we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got your pitch deck. We're going to have a look at that. We're going to have a look at the the industry, which is corporate services here right. in Singapore, because we were just chatting off air as well. You were telling me 330,000 entities here in Singapore. It's huge, really, isn't Live it? at the moment. Live entities. Yes. I mean, right. That's a key part, isn't it? These are people who actually have filing requirements. Correct. It's the, a great place to incorporate a company. It is. It's very efficient. I think still ranked number two after New Zealand. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Good. And you've been here now 12 years, so you know the industry and the spread of the land very well. Correct. So we're going to talk about Blue Meg, which you are the co-founder of. You describe yourself as a digital corporate services provider. The digital is a key aspect of this, isn't it? Because oh. there's a lot of guys out there doing the non-digital aspect. Maybe yeah. we can talk a little bit about that first before we jump into your pitch deck. So sure. what is corporate services? So <clears throat> corporate services as a whole is everything that happens at the back end of a corporate entity. It's all that administrative work that nobody's really looking forward to. I mean, nobody becomes an entrepreneur or nobody is a director in an entity because they love administration, right? Mm. They want to focus on the business. Unfortunately, there's a lot of administration that takes place at the back end as well, from governance to accounting to bookkeeping, um, uh, employment pass applications in countries like Singapore. Mm. Um, and all of those services is something that we can offer or we can assist our clients with uh, and make it more efficient. Mm -hmm. As, okay, so the efficient part, we're going to go digital. We're going to go into that journey of what you're building as well at Blue Meg, that platform that you've built, which is key, isn't it? Because, again, we were chatting off air about the experience pre-digital. There's a lot of companies out there who've done very well out of non-digital corporate services, which is, yeah. in, in some cases, the, the level of the technology is a, is a laminated card which you get handed when you walk into the office, Correct. isn't it? And they can survive as a business doing that, right? And you wonder, how, how on earth can you make money doing that? Well, first of all, I think a lot of players, they target a specific segment of the market, mm -hmm. right? Um, and as you've mentioned already, it's a very large market. The number of live entities, 330,000. And then if you look at the number of incorporations that take place every year, uh, that's another 50 to 60K on top of that. And then you've got your strikes off, strike offs, et cetera. Um, but 99.9% .9 out of those providers use no technology or hardly any technology at all. Mm. Um, and so that leaves a, a very large space for us to operate in and at least bring new efficiencies to the market and new user experiences. Yeah. And you don't come from that background. You're not a corporate services guy. You, you're a corporate that's worked in banking, retail banking. Correct. But you're not coming from corporate secretarial, right? No, no. I, I, indeed, I started in banking and financial markets um, and did that for a long time. That's also what brought me to Singapore, mm. pre-financial crisis even, 2006. Um, and then I sort of morphed more into uh, fintech technology um, and ended up in this, this corporate services space. But um, the great thing of, of the whole team at Bluemec, and if you look at all the co-founders, is we've got a... A, a great bit, a different uh, set of experiences. Mm. So one of the co-founders has been in this industry for 20 years. He was the founder of Vistra mm. in Singapore, which is is one of the largest players in the market. Uh, we've had co-founders with legal background who um, were lawyers in a previous life. So we've got a, a very diverse team uh, and we can focus on a lot of different aspects. Good. We'll talk about your team yeah. in a minute. We'll come to that. If we can jump into the 
pitch deck, Yannery, and yep. we can have a look. You've mentioned it already. I think it's worth talking about the market size itself. If we can jump to the beginning of the pitch deck. And if you are listening along on the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about some of the figures we're going to flash up here on the Blue Meg pitch deck. So we're talking about the market size of corporate services. And there's a bottom right graph here, which talks about new companies per year in key jurisdictions. Correct. And it's a graph that just goes up. Yes. Which is what we like to see. But it's growing quite significantly. Can you talk us through this? Because this goes all, I mean, it's not sort of the most up-to-date data is it i can't see my eyesight's going oh it's from 2018 this is the expected gotcha. size of the market right. indeed and it's, it's worth mentioning here that this is definitely not singapore alone so right. from a technology perspective we're agnostic to which market we're looking at yeah uh, and we actually want to move into different markets beyond singapore as well so this would look into some of the key jurisdictions in the world where you see a lot of corporate activity uh, and that's singapore hong kong for sure but then you've got the benelux you've got mm. the uk you've got the Channel Islands, and then of course you've got the Caribbean with some of the more favoured offshore jurisdictions as well. Mm. So all of that combined is what you're looking at here. Now, what's happening at the moment, this graph must tell a story, is that you know we are now, especially in the technology space, are in a an industry where you can shop around for a jurisdiction effectively, and you can find the best jurisdictions to set up your company. So there are, for example, Vietnamese companies who will go and set up their Singco, mm -hmm. their Singapore Incorporated yes. Corporation, because it's so much better for them to raise money here. Correct. Uh, are we seeing a lot more of this now? Is that, you know, especially here in Asia, people are looking around and saying, okay, like, I need to be in Singapore, I need to be in Hong Kong, whereas before it was maybe just for tax. Well, a lot of it is definitely driven by the um, interest of investors. And if you're a professional investor, if you're operating in the in the VC space, I can imagine that indeed you would prefer a jurisdiction such as Singapore mm. uh, to run your investment through rather than go direct into a Vietnamese or Indonesian entity uh, just because of you know how easy is it if there is a dispute mm. um, to then make sure that the right law or, or procedures are followed. Yeah. Um, so yes, you, you do see a strong preference for stable economies uh, with a strong legal system such as Singapore. Mm. Um, and there's also a bit of historical background. So what you see, for instance, in the, the fund industry, many of the uh, funds used came in as a preferred, preferred yeah. domicile. The fund manager themselves might still sit in Singapore and Hong Kong, but the, the legal structure uh, that underlies it is a, is a Cayman entity. Mm. Interestingly enough, it's, it's one of the areas where Singapore is looking at uh, making some improvements as well over the next year. <clears throat> and they've just announced the introduction of a new vehicle called SVAC, uh, mm. Singapore Variable Capital Company. Mm -hmm. But that is to compete or at least make Singapore more attractive um, in comparison to uh, Cayman, for instance. Mm, very interesting. More paperwork, obviously. More challenge. Which brings well, us on to the, yeah. the next slide, <clears throat> which is the problem, I guess, which is where you guys come in. Let's talk about the problem first with all of this. Um, too much paperwork. And, well, there has to be some kind of paperwork, right? Of course. You know, because yeah. we're dealing with jurisdictions, we're dealing with corporate governance, fiduciary responsibilities, and so on. However, this is the, the point that you talked about, which is that entrepreneurs don't have time for this. And we not necessarily enjoy this kind of work no. ourselves. So we have to work with the corporate services provider, but they're not necessarily up to the kind of speed or level that we expect as entrepreneurs. So for example, with accounts, I can go to zero. Yep. And zero is fantastic. We love a, zero. Yeah. All, I mean, all of our clients who do accounting through us, we put them on zero. Exactly. I yeah. mean, zero is amazing. Compared to what was before zero, you had QuickBooks and Intuit, which are very clunky. Yeah. 
Microsoft, whatever it was. Excel. It, yeah, exactly. Microsoft Excel was probably still one of the best yeah. out there. But all those kind of like services, and we're now used to, but why can't we have that for corporate governance? You know, why can't we have that for corporate services? Those kind of services should just plug and play. Yeah. So th let's talk a little bit about what the problem is. Maybe you can sort of indulge us a little bit about what we're facing. Yeah, so the, the, the problem is absolutely that um, bureaucratic uh, framework that's there and has been there for years. Um, and no one in the industry has actually been incentivized or moved to do anything about it. Just recently, you see, you start seeing a, a few digital players, which which we welcome, of course, because it just validates the mm. the assumptions that we're making as well. But uh, I think if you look at the incumbents, you can you can look at the smaller firms who would not have the in-house capabilities or knowledge on how to develop uh, the technology necessary for this to automate these processes in the first place. And then you've got the larger players, uh, the Intertrust, the Vistras, the TMFs of this world. But if you then look at how they're structured, who their owners are, uh, the PE funds, the amount of capital that has been invested in those entities and what the investment horizon is, you realize those guys that invest in these large corporate services firms, they want to make a return in three to five years. If you mm -hmm. want to make a return in three to five years, you are going to buy another book of clients. You're going to consolidate. You're going to maybe do a little bit of cost cutting, but you're certainly not going to spend millions on building a new technology platform that you would then have to introduce through an organization that has offices at 60 different locations. Right, right. So there's a lot of barriers to entry in that sense. Mm. And we are operating from a luxurious position of, of being new to that market in that mm. sense. And being able to pick two jurisdictions where we're focusing on right now, Hong Kong and Singapore, mm. and making sure that what we build works and it works like a charm and the clients are happy. Well, let's talk about what that solution is and how it works. We're going to flash up the pitch deck here. You've got a, a nice um, a, a flow chart here or the solution we have here, a digital console for companies. Let's talk a little, bit, a little bit about how this works. I mean, put this into context, like you have said already, Yanari, which is basically the, the large service providers in this space who have the cash and the resources are not incentivized to do this because the people who invest in them have an expectation for them to make a return within three to five years. And it's easier for them to go and buy another service provider Correct. to get the returns and the growth story yep. than it is to go and invest in a platform like this. Correct. Which leaves a space open for you. So tell us a little bit about what you're building. So we're building um, a console that basically allows clients to, um, through our online portal, set up their company or onboard an existing company because it's very important to make that distinction. It's not necessary. It, it, this is applicable to existing entities as well, right? Mm. Who are currently already facing that day-to-day -day burden of all their paperwork. So through that portal, they can basically onboard an entity or start an entity with us. It will automate the whole KYC procedure for them. Uh, as a service, as a licensed service provider in, in these markets, we will need to perform a know your client due diligence on everyone who comes through our doors. But again, uh, making that process more uh, efficient and electronic and allowing them to safely upload documents, mm. uh, uh, of course, is already a, a way better procedure than having the clients to go through notaries or sending certified original documents from halfway around the world mm. uh, where that is not actually necessary. So through that process, you've onboarded an entity and then you can take it going forward in a, in a more digital context. So a lot of the standard governance processes, such as uh, the appointment of a director or a share transfer, they're very well documented in the sense how these need to take place. Certain uh, forms need to be filled. 
certain resolutions need to be passed, and then it's the responsibility of the com- of the corporate secretary, which is us, to file that with the registry. Mm. Those processes we've automated. We have the company details. We have the details of the shareholders, of the directors. We can pre-populate a lot of these documents. We can allow them to e-sign that, and then we will do the filing on their behalf. Hopefully, in a future or in a jurisdiction where that's already possible, even using APIs to push that into a registry electronically. Mm. So that last part interests me. Are we there anywhere in the world where you can? Yes. Okay. We're Australia, in the UK. Right. Um, We can, in the the UK, we can go into company's house um, and immediately from our console using APIs file most corporate actions electronically. Right. So Fantastic. Are we there with Singapore, Hong Kong? Singapore, not yet. Singapore right. has a, um, a web-based portal available uh, for the filing agents to enter the details on their client's behalf. Mm. Um, Hong Kong is unfortunately a little bit further behind the curve in the sense that some of the documents still require you to visit companies' registry right. and hand them in um, paper format. But I'm sure, look, um, these economies, Singapore and Hong Kong specifically, they're looking ahead in the future, right? We've got FinTech Week coming up next yeah. week in Singapore. We've had FinTech Week in Hong Kong last week. They know what's happening around them. So they Absolutely. will definitely make a move or, or move into that direction. I'm, I'm confident. They have to compete, don't they? Correct. So in that case, can I then just give you the details of the company that I want to form and you can then take all that away and come back with a formed company? Yes. I know there may be a little bit where you actually have to go and into the the, the government website and file that, but, but it doesn't you'll involve notice, me. You will notice right. that. So all you will be receiving is a document that requires an electronic signature, Yeah. the founding documents of the of the entity, and then we'll file everything on your behalf. A, a good example of that was a, an existing client of ours last week um, who lives in Bali and was in town for just one day, needed to set up two entities and said, oh, I'm in, I'm in town. And he, he texted me at 6 a.m. in the morning. I'm in town. I want to go into DBS, open up my bank account. So yeah. well, we need the entities established before you can actually do that. The good thing is, of course, we did our KYC on him already before. He was an existing client. But we managed to set up those entities, two of them, in less than an, in, in below an hour. And wow. he went into the bank that afternoon, got the accounts opened. Excellent. Yeah. I'm just pausing there to sort of take that in. The the slowest moving part of this sort of process chain is often opening the bank accounts, isn't it? Correct. So where are we with that? Because, you know, for example, in, in Hong Kong, same here in Singapore, you have to go in person yes. to, to the bank. Um, you have to, because obviously they have their KYC as well. Yeah. Um, where are we with all of that? You know, are we at a, a stage where we can smoothly set that up within a day? I mean, you mentioned that, but that sounds like an exceptional case, no? Well, we can smoothly, caveat here, we can smoothly set up the interview process and make sure that all the documents are there necessary for the opening of the bank account. Obviously, it is still at the, um, uh, you know, it's a responsibility of the compliance department at the bank to verify the KYC and Mm. to accept or reject the the application at question. Mm. So, there's nothing that we can do in that sense. We we hope in the future for a, a sort of a passporting of KYC, so to speak, so that if, if we've done KYC, somebody else yeah. could accept that as well. We're not there yet. Uh, it's being discussed by a lot of the players in the financial services industry. But um, yeah, it's a reality, unfortunately, that we have to live with. Uh, mm. Indeed, opening up a bank account can sometimes be challenging. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess one of the value adds that you provide in this is that you know which banks are going to be most 
open to this process as well because there are you know two banks even the same bank yeah they have different departments or different you know different the main street the side street entrance and so yeah. on and they work quite differently as well you know dbs digital dbs non-digital and so on you know you can get completely different response so one of the value adds i guess in working with a, a service provider is you know which bank and how to get in the right door correct and it's interesting that you mentioned that because indeed this is how, even if we wouldn't want to, this is not something that you can just, uh, by building some technology, miraculously make make go away, right? Yeah. This is indeed the added value of using a service provider that's done this many times and can tell you, right, in, in terms of the narrative, let's focus on this, let's use this branch instead of that branch, um, and then indeed take our clients through the account opening process. Yeah. yeah. I have to vouch as well. I, I used the service provider, which was one of the mom and pop service providers right. that you mentioned you know the laminate card yeah, service yeah, yeah. providers got me set up straight away with a company very very quickly but then recommended me to the bank and the, the bank it tell i think the bank took like five to six weeks to set up Oof, that's, that's obviously little... there was an issue me not being singaporean but yep. it's not like that was new to them so it was their responsibility to find a bank that knew how to deal with people who were yeah. you know residents in singapore but not singaporean so those are the things that people don't think about when they set up an account or set up a, a company is they think oh look i can set up for this price these guys are really cheap and they're fast they'll set me up a bank account, but they then don't realize what the follow-on from that is. Correct, correct. Or um, uh, in terms of uh, already, you know, at the, the the incubation or the start of the company, starting with a very, very complex um, cap table, mm. uh, which will, of course, then uh, raise additional questions, right? Let's be pragmatic about this. What are you trying to achieve? How, in what time frame do you want to achieve it? And then we'll see how we can best help and advise you in, in, in achieving that goal. Great. Okay, let's back up a little bit because I want to know about your story. There's a slide in your pitch deck here. It tells you about where you've come from and the growth of the company. I want to ask you, Yanari, why? Why are you doing this? I mean, you spent years in banking. Yes. You know, you, I suppose on the other side, you know, from entrepreneurs as well, you, you've dealt with many different kinds of entrepreneurs coming through the system. What was the, the, um, the genesis, the, the beginning of this for you? Why did you say, I want to start this business? I, I I really was drawn to the entrepreneurial aspects of of starting and running a company with a, a very talented group of people mm. and building something from scratch. Um, even in banking, in my banking days, I was already setting up departments that were new in terms of what they were offering to the existing client base. Uh, I was marketing local markets capabilities, so everything that our bank was doing in Malaysia, Taiwan, Philippines to our US and European client base, and that was something new back in those days. Um, but it's still within the confines or the framework of a large organization. Mm. And now being able to really take the helm and do this together with a, a good group of people, that's really what the motivation behind this is. That was a challenge. It's always a challenge, but Absolutely. it's a nice challenge, yeah. When did you start the company? Is it, you, your latest data here is Q3 2018? Correct. That's uh, We started uh, middle of January, actually. Right. So uh, you started in January 2018. Yes. Uh, by Q3 2018, you're doing 350K revenue in the quarter? Correct. Okay. So um, how many people are you now? We're 15 people. Right. All based here in Singapore? No. We have five people based in our Hong Kong office, and yeah. we've got 10 people based in our Singapore office. All right. Can we talk a little bit about your team as sure. well? So you've got yep. a slide here. Where did you guys meet? So 
Um, interesting story. Uh, JP and myself, we've known each other. We've both been living in Singapore for 12 years. So we mm. met each other um, here in Singapore. Uh, Is he from the banking world as well? No, he's actually from the traditional uh, oh. services world. So he right, was with Vistra. Yeah. Okay. Um, Paul, I've worked with uh, in a previous company. Um, and he's like, he's the self-taught, um, what is it? The, the coder, the programmer, hacker. The, the hacker, but he's got yeah. a, a business background as well, a business degree. Uh, Kiana had just finished her, uh, INSEAD MBA here in, in Singapore and, mm. and wanted to stay. Um, and is, um, obviously it's always great to have a bit of diversity on the team and not yep. just be there with, uh, just men. Um, and Carlo, he's our, our wise old gentleman, uh, having been in the region for 20 years, I believe, uh, mm. both in Hong Kong and Singapore as in-house counsel for some very large blue chip companies. Right. So it sounds like to me you have a team that also has a lot of experience, but it, you know, you'd want them to be involved in the relationships with the clients as well. So it's not... you. Uh, from what you have here, you have a lot of skills which you could offer people beyond simply a technology platform. Correct. Right? So are you offering sort of like a value-added services on top of that? Because, you know, if you've got somebody with 20, 30 years of industry experience, you know, that they may be very helpful beyond simply setting up a company. Right? Yes. So it, it is indeed we're helping our clients or we're thinking outside of the box together with our clients in mm. terms of helping to achieve what needs to be done and it's not just this team i would say it's it's the rest of the uh, the team as well right everyone who's in working at bloomberg at the moment everyone's wearing multiple hats everyone is there servicing our clients everyone is there to really take them by the hand and deliver on what is required mm. um and yeah you need to be able to to go that extra mile to take that extra step to think ahead um and anticipate the next few questions or at mm. least the next few challenges that your client will face. Um, interesting example is, for instance, employment passes. We help our clients with quite a few of those, yeah. and they're never straightforward, they're never easy. Um, and while you know from the, the Ministry of Manpower's website what the minimum requirements are, yeah, sometimes they do get rejected, or at least mm. you have to put in an appeal. Um, I think there are very few services providers that would actually write that appeal letter mm. um, in the in the form that we're doing that. We're sitting down with our clients. We're asking them, great, let's let's go over the background. Let's go over the future. Let's go over your aspirations. And we'll put that all in a, in a, in a very good letter, a very good appeal letter. We'll add all the additional information. And the good thing is that by doing so, I think so far we've had nearly a 100% success rate in getting everything approved. Mm. So it's going that extra mile. It's, it's thinking with your client. Um, and then, you know, making sure that you, you, you provide that extra service. Yeah. So if you provide, for example, like corporate services in terms of, you know, the basic uh, fiduciary responsibilities to set up the corporate governance, employment passes, what else? Accountancy, Accounting, book, yes. book return, you know, the, the, the general filing requirements of any company. Correct. So the general filing requirements are in that in that corporate secretarial right. package already. Okay. Um, and then accounting, bookkeeping, employment passes, payroll, that would all be ancillary if and when a client requires that. I always wonder when I look at corporate services providers, is it, is it tempting now to sort of add extra services to that? I mean, if you go back to the day where you had the accounting firms, yeah. like they were once KPMG or, or Cooper's Librand, who yeah. then became management consultancy services. You know, with yourselves, is you know now you have a relationship with the clients. Is the temptation then to add to that? Is that as part of the vision, or are you just focused purely on this? No, well, um, 
It's definitely part of the vision, uh, but you, you're right. Focus is what's needed now, right? We've mm. only been here for uh, a relatively short space of time. And and first, we need to make sure that what we're offering right now works and it works impeccably. And then we mm. can move on to other things. So as a startup, that's one of your challenges, right? Re keeping that focus. Absolutely. But you're right. I mean, the, the audience that you're engaging with, your clients, they're actually the decision makers in those entities. And you could think of, indeed, other services such as insurance, for instance, mm. that is applicable to that business, be it corporate insurances, employment insurances, you name it. Um, what we're trying to do is initially distill everything down to a, a software-as-a-service pricing model, making it very easy to understand, making it very transparent. But then, as you know, with SaaS, what you need to do is, over time, upsell yeah. um, uh, to, you know, make sure you yeah, mitigate that effect of churn in your portfolio. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because the, the, the costliest part of your business is actually acquiring the customer. And that's the, once you have a customer, you know, then upselling the services is key to growth, isn't it? Correct. Okay, good. Raising funds. And also I want to talk a little bit about growing your team as well. Let's talk about raising funds now. So, I mean, you are obviously generating cash, but you're looking to expand further. Yes. So, um, this would be a pre-series A, um, just so people understand the kind of yeah, check size yeah. that people would be writing here. What are you looking for the funds for? What would the purpose of those funds be? And also, who are you looking for to partner with in terms right. of investment? So clearly, what we want to do is put a lot more emphasis on our technological development mm. um, and hiring good quality developers uh, in Singapore or Hong Kong, of course, isn't the cheapest thing to do. We could outsource it to in, to, to Vietnam or, or India, mm. but we like to keep things onshore mm -hmm. and be able to control it. So the development team is one. We really haven't done anything on the digital marketing site yet mm. or on marketing as, in, as a whole. We've been uh, at a few um, events, uh, conferences, but marketing is another uh, big expense for us that we think uh, would add considerably. Mm. Um, and then geographical expansion. Mm. As I mentioned, Singapore and Hong Kong is where we are right now, but what we're doing is very replicable to other common law jurisdictions, Australia, UK, they're on the uh, horizon for the earlier part of next year. And again, that will require investment. Mm. With the marketing side as well, what would work for you? You mentioned digital marketing, because I can imagine, for example, if you could work out it costs you $10 to it, acquire a subscriber or a customer right. through Facebook ads, I'm just saying, throwing yeah. out random numbers, but you could get, you know, maybe $1,000 from that customer, then you could commit a lot of resources to, you know, social media advertising, Correct. Like Facebook. Have you worked out what kind of channels would be good for you? Are you still sort of exploring that? Well, we, we've been engaging quite a bit in the last few weeks and months on uh, LinkedIn. Mm. Um, I think that's a, a good professional channel for us to use. Um, AdWords, we haven't done anything with that yet. Um, but this is again all part of what we need to do. It's it's that that's that challenge that we need to tackle. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Good. And the type of partners, investors that you're looking to speak to. Right. I mean, talk obviously they're going to be institutional early stage VCs or VCs. Correct. Cutting, well, we won't talk about the check size, but obviously that's the conversation you have to have. High net worth individuals. Yes. Family offices. Any, yep. any sort of particular background? Are you looking for strategic investments or people? 
just who've got the cash. No, well, no. I mean, you, you at this stage, you definitely want to be able to have that uh, strategic conversation with your investors, right? They're, they're, you're there to make a return for them, and they're there to help you make that return. So from a VC perspective, it'd be good if those are people with knowledge or, let's say, uh, contacts in new markets for us. Mm. Australia, UK, I've just mentioned. Uh, when you talk about family offices, high net worth individuals, uh, there are definitely people that fit that category that come from this industry or have a background in corporate services. Mm. Um, again, with their their address book, the Rolodex, uh, it, it makes a good strategic fit. So we would be looking at people who are have an affinity, a natural affinity with corporate services, um, or people who understand the the pain point. And let's be honest, pretty much every VC will understand it because. By virtue of doing all these investments, exactly. they are directors on many companies and they've got all this paperwork to file on a regular basis, but then also who can help with um, our growth, growth aspirations. So why would a, a VC or a high net worth individual who comes or knows the background of corporate services quite well, why would they invest in a company like you who effectively is building out a technology platform rather than just going and acquire a book of corporate services providers the mom and pop guys who Correct. have, you know, maybe 200, 300 customers, they could just acquire a whole bunch of those. It would just be a simple, you know, they could get a percentage return on their investment on a yearly basis. It'd be quite a safe investment, right? They, they could, but I think the delta would be at looking at the technology, right? Mm. We What we're building will ultimately be able to be white labeled to many of those other services providers as well. We don't need to do it ourselves. Better yet, we don't even have to be in the jurisdiction, mm. right? Once you have the framework, once you have the the console that allows for automation of corporate governance processes, we could literally um, drop that in any geographical market globally um, and and run governance for those type of entities as well. We, mm. we are speaking to uh, multinational companies who want to use the technology already for their in-house entities that we would probably never be able to manage because of the jurisdictions where they operate in. But that, I think that is massively interesting for investors because that's a, it's, it's a significant delta. Absolutely. Do you think the, you know, long term, that platform itself will be the, the, the main growth driver of the company? I wouldn't be surprised if it would, yes. Right. Okay, would that then create two different sort of revenue tracks there? Would that in any way be, you know, for example, I mean, you could scale the, the actual individual servicing of companies as well, but the scale on a technology platform is, is you know, as you say, the delta is much bigger, isn't Correct. it? So yeah. would that be sort of like the, where the company would head long term? Yes. I mean, I, w I wouldn't be surprised. What we're doing now on the client side is uh, a validation of what we're trying to build on the technology, right, right. technological side. Yeah. It's an interesting way of putting it. I think it's clear, isn't it? Yeah. That is, you know, you're asking people to pay to use this service to, so you can actually, effectively, you're bankrolling the R&D on the service as well, right? Yeah. You're building this platform and you have paying customers who are using it. You can now take that to somebody who may take and white label that. Yeah and use it internally or use it within their own company. Correct. But look, I don't, I don't want to uh, run the risk of sounding uh, unthankful for, for our clients no. that we have at the moment, right? Because we are there to provide that service to them. Yeah. But you're right. It, it, it helps us to build a much larger technological platform mm. that has truly global uh, possibilities. Yeah. Would you see, for example, the people who you would consider your competitors now 
being able to use that platform in the future as well. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And 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 that those are already uh, discussions that we're having with uh, some top-tier uh, firms in the mm. corporate services business, but also uh, when we talk about larger law firms uh, or even some of one of the big four. So yeah, yeah, good. Uh, it kind of it makes it very clear. Would you describe yourself as a fintech company then? In way, I mean, I know you talked about fintech week in Hong yeah. Kong last week and here in Singapore. So you're obviously interested in that space. For sure, I, I think we're probably on the more on the tangent of fintech and regtech, right? Reg, right. Regtech yeah, is yeah. now the next big thing that everyone's mentioning, but yeah. uh, uh, we're doing a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, good. Let's talk about your team as well. We, we flashed them up on the screen very briefly, and you, you sort of introduced them to us. Um, Fifteen of you. Yeah. So you have ten in Hong Kong, five here in Singapore. Are you Correct. recruiting at the moment? We are. We are indeed. What are you looking for? What kind of people? Is it hard skills? Is it a certain kind of mindset that you're looking for? What kind of jurisdictions? So I think I speak for everyone in the founding team. We we don't really believe in hard skills in that sense. Mm. The size that we're at right now is, you know, it's, it's still a startup slash scale up. You need to wear a lot of different hats. So you need to be able to think outside of the box. Um, and when I speak to candidates, you know, they'll, they'll always send you the CV. The CV looks great. It probably has all the information on it yeah. that you need to know. What I'm more interested about is who's the person in front of me? Can I have a conversation with them? What Actually, I'll, I'll probably ask them something about their last holiday and, and what their plans are uh, for the next weekend. And I really want to be able to, uh, on a social level, understand these people and have a, con mm. a connection with them. Um, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of the technical capabilities are there and a lot of the other technical capabilities will have to teach them. If you look at, for instance, the corporate secretaries um, that, that we employ, or at least if, you, um, if you're looking to, to recruit corporate secretaries, most of them, almost all of them, will still come from a very traditional firm yeah. where hardly any technology was used other than Word and Excel. Um, so they already have to step outside of their comfort zone massively, mm. right? And for in order for people to step outside of that comfort zone, it, it takes a lot more than technical expertise. It, it, it's personal aspiration. It's what do they like to achieve? How would they like to move forward? And that's what you're trying to, you know, that's, at least that's what I'm trying to get at with when I'm interviewing people. Right. So when you're asking them about the holiday, you're trying to open a conversation to explore that a little bit, yeah, find out about the person. Correct. And what, do they, what drives them? What are they interested in? Exactly. If, if, if they say that their holiday was an all-inclusive resort where they watched Netflix uh, for, the, for the last week and, and that's about it, then hmm, I, I'm not sure if that's the, 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 the type of person that would fit in an organization where I want you to explore, to, to, right. take, you know, to take a leap into the unknown and, and try new things. Mm. Um, so you're looking for somebody who's a little bit more adventurous in that sense. Right. How do you balance that, though? Because the people that you mentioned, for example, corporate secretaries, they're not rewarded for being adventurous, right? So you're naturally, you have that self-selection, don't you, in the industry that yep. those who are good after time have sort of been smoothed out a little bit. Their sort of adventurous spikes have disappeared. So how, how do you then find that? It, it's also about creating the culture within the company, right? So everyone who comes on board with Blue Meg, uh, we have a budget available for them to engage in continuous uh, learning and development. Mm. I want them to go out there and, and find something that interests them, might also benefit the company, and, and go and take that course. Um, uh, our secretaries are, at the moment, all of them doing um, uh, relevant courses for their um, their area of expertise. Our compliance officer is looking at, 
he's actually looking at um, the a lot of the employment laws now in in Singapore because we're looking at providing more flex work mm. opportunities to the uh, to staff as well. So you basically want to let's say um, tickle them by allowing them to. Um, Explore other areas yeah. as well. So do they choose those courses? They choose the courses. Oh, yeah. We yeah. give them a budget. They choose the courses. And then uh, um, I just want everyone to continuously be able to develop themselves. Yeah. Okay. And do they have to come from the corporate services world to be relevant to your company? No, 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 not, 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 not at all. Um, uh, and look, for the, the corporate secretaries, they did have relevant experience in that field for sure. Mm. Um, I would imagine if we would hire a junior now, uh, they can be trained in-house and and learn everything from the team that already uh, exists. If you look at compliance or junior compliance, obviously an affinity uh, with uh, you know compliance in the past would help. But I wouldn't say that we would um, disregard a CV if it's not immediately relevant right. to to what we need. Right. So if I was a geography graduate. Would I be relevant? Yeah, well, why not? What, what would be relevant about me? Well, look, if, what are you looking it, for from me? It's the personality. Right. It's the personality. Will you add to the team? It's, it's right. The one thing that we don't want are cubicles. Nobody yeah. in our office works in the cubicle. It's an open, open space floor. I want people to interact. Um, I also want everyone, for instance, to be involved with the technological development, right? So when we go through a sprint and the, 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 the dev team has you know, sketched out what they want to develop over the next six weeks, I first want sign-off from our corporate secretary, mm. from our finance lady, from our compliance person. Everyone needs to look at that and provide their feedback and comments on it, and that's how we work as a team. So if you've studied geography or psychological or psychology, mm. that, that's fine with me. It's about the person. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's what we want to hear. And I guess... People want to hear that as well because, you know, if they want to know, I mean, you are a startup, yep. what it's like to work in a startup, these are the important things. And I think as well, the key is, so if somebody's listening and they're thinking, oh, actually, this sounds like something I want to be involved in. One of the decisions that I encourage them to make is to, you know, work out whether the person you're going to sit with in that interview is going to be a good mentor for you. Because, you know, sitting with you, for example, am I going to learn? Are you going to help me get where I want to get yep. to? That is really important. That's, that, a, that's a fair question. And so, for example, you've already talked about training, ongoing yep. training. You'll help me with my ongoing training yep. if I was to work with you, for example. So th these are the things that people have to think about when they join an organization, not necessarily the benefits, but the real benefits in terms of the learning you know, and what they're going to get. I, I can tell you that the, the benefits as such are a lot on the soft side right. uh, rather than the high. Look, if you want to have a, a, a very comfortable salary uh, and probably a pension plan. You've done uh, this, by the way, so it, from the world of banking, right? So you, I, you speak with confidence. I know, yeah. So if you want to have that, go to one of the blue chip companies yeah. or the larger firms and they'll be able to provide you that. If you want to have a more adventurous experience, if you want to work in a very dynamic team, want to wear multiple hats, then you come to a company like Bluemec. Yeah. And and we'll work something out. But yeah, it's 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 a, a continuous engagement with everyone in the team. Excellent. Yanari Bailus, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. Well, how do people reach out to you? What's the most effective channel for people to contact you? Well, um, on LinkedIn, we're very active. Yeah. Um, you, people can email me at jan-ari at bluemag.com. Yeah. If that's too too hard to, to remember, info at bluemag.com will work as well. Yeah. Um, or they can contact us by visiting the website. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.